There's some glamour jobs out there, such as uh, firefighter or, or uh, you know, police officer or pilot or, or, or doctor or lawyer or astronaut. I mean, those were very, very... And, and yet I was different. I really couldn't figure out which of those I wanted to do, but there was one thing I was certain. The most common phrase in my family uh, that my parents would say whenever I would come to them would be the four words, we can't afford it. And so... Um, I realized that even though my father had taken us out of poverty into middle class by moving to California, that there were many things that I desired to do that just weren't going to happen unless I could pay for them. And so whatever it was, whatever it was, I wanted to be able to afford it in the future. And the easiest way for me to be able to afford that or it was to go into business. So I became a business student at CU and... Uh, for some reason, as a young Christian, I was just enthralled with the business world, and and, uh, and and business students were a little different. You know, the engineers always had their pencil cases and 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 all and all of that. And yet, at graduation at CU, where everybody would take their mortarboards and throw them in the air, the business students brought Monopoly money and threw it in the air knowing that on average they would make about 20000 more a year than the other guys that were graduating, especially the English majors and the philosophy majors and, and people like that. And, and yet, I have to say this, Christ changed everything. Uh, it took a while, and I, I have to admit that when my dad found out that his most promising business son it, you know, the, the one that looked like he was going to do something with his life when the most promising one said he wanted to not get an MBA but an MDiv, he was scratching his head and wondering, what have I done wrong? Um, and yet he, he agreed with me. He, you know, he didn't agree, but he gave me permission and allowed me to, to go into seminary and discover if that's what I really wanted to become. Over those years, though, I, I still couldn't say... Exactly what I was supposed to do my first couple of years of seminary, and I continued to seek God for what it was. And, and I realized that I wasn't the only one like this. A lot of people who become Christians say, well, now what? I know that I'm different. I know that Christ is in my life. But what change should it make? Now, for most of us, we continue to do the very same things we were trained to do. And I look out at many of you and you went to university or you studied something for a specific purpose and you're still doing it today and you like it and that's wonderful. I also look out at others who said, eh, some of you music majors, Todd, some of you uh, philosophy majors, uh, some of you psychology majors, you realize, you know, I love my course of study but I also want to eat. So, you know, you found a career most often in some sort of business or government profession. And you realize that, you know, my training may not match what I'm supposed to do the rest of my life. And that's okay. In fact, today I want to bring up an example of someone who was probably as highly accomplished as anybody we know in Scripture. And he did this more through his own training, through his own effort. But, but as he did that, he said, now that I am in Christ, now that I have turned my life over to Jesus, I think some changes are going to occur. 
I'm not necessarily turning my back on what I was trained to do and what I devoted my life to do, but instead how I do it and the, and the ways that I do it and the purpose for which I do it, that's going to happen. He is a doctor, a doctor of medicine. And uh, 500 years uh, or 500 B.C. or around 500 B.C., uh, we developed, or the Greeks developed this thing called the Hippocratic Oath, not the Hippocratic Oath, the Hippocratic Oath. And um, this doctor repeated that vow, and he meant it. Now, let me read some of it. Omnumi Apolliana intron... Oh, you want the English translation. Okay. I swear by Apollo, the healer, Asclepius... Hygieia and Panacea, to take to witness to all gods, all the goddesses, to keep according to my ability and my judgment the following oath and agreement. And then he said, I'm going to treat my, my mentors, my teachers of medicine, uh, as if they're my own family, and I will teach their children the medicine that I have learned. And then it goes on. I will prescribe regimens for the good of my patients according to my ability and judgment and never do harm to anyone. And even today you hear, above all else, no harm to anyone. I will give no deadly medicine to anyone if asked, nor suggest any such counsel. Uh, I will, uh, But I will preserve the purity of my life and my arts. In every house I come, doctors made house calls back then, uh, I will enter only for the good of my patients, keeping myself far from intentional ill-doing and all other seductions. Isn't that cool? Well, one last one here. All that may come to my knowledge in the exercise of my profession or in daily commerce with men, which ought not to be spread abroad, I will keep secret and will never reveal. We now have the HIPAA. Uh, uh, law, which means you get you and your doctor only are the ones who know your medical information. So some things have continued for over 500 years, or over in terms of this person's life, and 2,500 years in our day to day. Now this guy's name, his name is Luke, and when Luke turns to Jesus Christ, he has a new God. He's no longer following Apollo, and as a new believer, he also finds himself with a new mission. And so he continues to practice medicine, but with that, he he makes some changes in his life. And yet, like this suit, the person inside that, that white coat is still the same. And similar to you, when you meet Jesus Christ, you are changed, but the real character, the real person remains the same. It's just sort of transformed to do things in a different way. So what was Luke the person like? And I, I hope that you can say your doctor was like this also. Uh, Luke was, uh, first of all, he had to be intelligent. To be a doctor, you have to memorize huge amounts of data and facts so that you can spit them out to other people. The last thing you want is someone opening up your stomach and saying, now tell me again to the staff around him, where is the kidney? You want somebody who knows where that is. You don't want someone all cutting open your brain and, and then saying, oh, I forgot. Now, what's the part I'm never supposed to touch? <laughs> they should be intelligent. And Luke was smart. They should be detail-oriented. 
when I get my physical every year, I get more data than I can possibly process in pages and pages of what, what, what comes out of my blood test and, and other lab results. And uh, I want to make sure that uh, the readings are in the realm of, of, you know, the upper and lower margins. And the last thing I want to hear from my doctor is to go to him and say, I'm feeling bad. And he looks at, he looks at the blood report and goes, oh, gee, I'm so sorry. I missed that. I want a doctor who looks at the details, who doesn't miss, you know, you got HIV or you got, how could you miss that? And second, and finally, he was a physician. And by that, I mean, he not only knew his stuff, but he cared for his patients, which was in the Hippocratic Oath. He would commit himself to the very best care that he could possibly give. That's the difference between a physician and a biologist. A biologist studies microbes. A physician is involved in curing sick people who have microbes. He wants to know how to kill them not what they look like. Now, these characteristics describe Luke, and hopefully they describe your doctor too. Some of these he had from birth. Others he grew up in terms of he was nurtured into them, and I imagine others, like all of us, sheer dogged endurance and determination is what made up for when we lacked it. So think about it. How would you describe yourself? Luke is intelligent, detailed, a caring physician, How would you describe yourself? These are the things that God has probably put in you and you have developed for good purposes over the years. Uh, What would be the words that are repeatedly mentioned with your name about your character? What do friends say about you? What do competitors say about you? What about those who work with you? What do they say about you? What is it that sticks out about you? You have some things that you can take home there and fill in on your own, and I hope you do that. But when people talk to me and, and, and repeat what I'm like, they often say, well, Jim's sincere. Not very funny, but sincere. Uh, Jim is wise versus being passionately excited. And, and Jim seems to be fairly dedicated to what he does. I hear that time and time again, and I appreciate that. What is it about you? Because whatever it is about you, I want you to know, that's what God wants to use. He put it there for a purpose. It wasn't by mistake. You are designed. Your character is to be used by him just like Luke's was. But now that he has a new God, God begins to give him a new mission. And that mission begins with his true conversion. Now, we know something happened to Luke when he turned to Christ. Instead of making oaths to Apollo, the God of healing, when he places his trust in Christ, he begins to make new oaths to God. But he still takes his his intellect, his attention to detail, his caring heart into his faith. We believe that he meets Christ in in a place in Syria called Antioch. And Antioch... um, is like the Christian center once the, the, uh, the Christians are thrown out of Jerusalem through tribulation. So they're thrown out and they, they multiply in such numbers that the rest of the city begins to recognize who these people are. They give them a cynical name. The cynical name is Christian. Did you know that the name Christian is something that's in derision? They give them the name Christian, and what they're saying about them is, these guys, 
They're like little Jesuses. They're always helping people. They're so nice. They pray and believe their prayers are going to be answered. These Christians, what are we going to do with them? Well, they multiply so quickly that pretty soon the new center for Christianity, for followers of Jesus Christ, uh, becomes Antioch. And Antioch is just not the center, but it now becomes what you call the outreach sending station. And so from Antioch go teams of Christians to Turkey, Greece, uh, Italy, and all the way to Spain, as Jesus promised to the ends of the earth. And Paul takes several of these teams, and he, he, he takes Christians, other Christians with him. And for a period of time, we know that Luke was on one of these mission teams. We know that because of three chapters in Acts where uh, written by uh, Luke, uh, three chapters there, the word we and us are used. In other words, Luke was there. I, I don't know about this, but, you know, I, I imagine Luke says, Paul, I'd like to go with you on this mission team just in case anything happens to you. You have your own personal physician nearby. And Paul says, yeah, I guess that could be good. Um, But when Paul's bitten by a snake and he doesn't die, or when Paul uh, has a guy fall out of a three-story, you know, three-story fall out a window down to the ground and and he's brought back to life, when Paul uh, heals the blind and the sick and all these things, as you see in different places in the book of Acts, um, I imagine that was a little hard for a physician to handle. And that wasn't the most necessary thing or necessary contribution that Luke could offer. We'll get to that. But Luke becomes one of these apostolic bands. Uh, And he's with them for a while. Sometimes he's dropped off and sometimes he rejoins Paul. But that means as he writes Acts, he was in some of those places. And so he could say, we traveled to this city, or we sailed uh, to this new place, or we met with believers in such and such a place. But in addition to spending time with Paul, because he's a physician, he met with other apostles. Uh, he, He wrote down better than anybody else about the birth of Jesus, probably interviewing Mary herself. Uh, So he's a good doctor and he's an active Christian, but Luke sees a need that no one to this time has, has met. And as he shares and understands the unique contribution that he can make, he understands my new God means that I have a altered mission in life. And so what is this new mission? Well, Matthew and Mark have each already probably written their Gospels. And and you will see things that are in all three, in fact, all four Gospels. But as Luke writes his Gospel, he wants to say there's, there's something that's been left out, not just in content, but in the whole atmosphere of what a Gospel is like. So um, no one was talking in Matthew and Mark. No one was talking to the same people that Luke wants to talk to. Well, who was Luke? Luke is part of the educated. Luke is part of the higher echelons of society. Uh, Luke is part of the wealthy, part of the skeptical intelligentsia. Uh, Luke is part of the best of the best, the professionals, those that know five or six different languages. Luke is part of the upper end of society because he came from there. And there's no gospel for these people. 
And so when these people hear, uh, like the Gospel of Matthew, and this, and, and continually in Matthew, it, it, it summarizes by saying, and this fulfills the prophecy uh, that the Messiah would do this. That's for the Jews. Luke wants to write a Gospel that provides the data that's going to convince people like him. And nobody has been able to do that. So with his new God, with his new faith, he also has a new mission. And nobody is writing like he wants to write. Nobody is telling the stories of Jesus that he wants to do. Nobody is checking the facts as intensely as he does. Nobody is doing the interviews, uh, diagnosing the illnesses uh, that, that Jesus heals people from. Luke's want a go- he wants a gospel for the scientists, for the philosophers, for the doctors, for the educators, for the lawyers. And one of them seems to be this guy named Theophilus. Theophilus, you get that? So we start back here. Let's, let's go back a little bit for... Where goes Luke? uh, Yeah, one and two. Thank you. It says this. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Matthew and Mark were probably those eyewitnesses. Luke was not. Paul was not. But when those eyewitnesses did their accounts, there was still so much that Jesus did that was missing. So Luke goes and says, I'm going to interview people that haven't been interviewed. I'm going to interview eyewitnesses that nobody has talked to before. And out of this, you find that Luke is the only one that has the parable of the Good Samaritan, talking about foreigners being good people. Luke is the only one who has the parable of the prodigal son and the lost sheep and the lost coins. He puts all those three together and he's the only one with the prodigal son. Why? Because he wants to talk about the depth of grace and the depth of, of, of love that God has. But he also hears it from others and it's not written down anywhere else. Luke brings such detail to the cross that none of the others can do. So this is what you find about Luke's gospel. It is thorough. He knows about Jesus' birth like no one else has described it. He identifies the healings using medical terms. Luke uh, does this by long interviews and penetrating questions. It's targeted. He is speaking to his people. You read Luke's gospel and Acts, and it is the most specific, most factual, most detailed. He wants to convince his people who say Matthew and Mark are not enough. Jesus is not just another teacher is what he's trying to tell them about Jesus. Instead, Jesus is not another miracle worker. He's not just another leader, a good moral example. Moral example. Jesus is God's son and our savior. And it's purposeful. Luke has a purpose. He wants to educate his people, his smart, his dedicated, his detail-oriented people to be certain about what they have been taught. So that is what he says in his purpose statement, verses 3 and 4. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. That means he's not just taking his own memories. He has looked at person after person and talked to them. It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account to you, not that the others were disorderly, O most excellent Theophilus. In other words, Theophilus, as a rich 
educated, influential man, this gospel's for you. For you. And nobody else has written a gospel for you. That you may be certain or you know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. In other words, you, you left reading this gospel or sitting in this classroom with all these questions. And I'm here, Theophilus, for you and everybody like you, the educated Greek. I'm here to answer those questions. That's what my book is all about. So Luke takes his God-given personality. He applies it to a gospel and to the book of Acts. He applies it to the people who need convincing by data and by, by a, a different approach to the gospel. But Luke is also, through his God-given personality, directed step by step by the Holy Spirit. We don't know the things that Luke decided would not go in, but it was directed by the Holy Spirit. We don't know exactly how Luke found certain things that were to go in, but it was directed by the Holy Spirit. So unlike other disciples, Luke just stands out as someone who's different. Not just how dedicated he was, but the other thing you read Luke, and especially as you read Acts, uh, we don't know, like the other disciples, how Luke dies, even by tradition. We don't know what happens to him after he finishes his two-part assignment of Luke and Acts. But we do know this about him. He didn't seem to be one who wanted to be in the spotlight much. Wait a minute. You're a trained physician. You're an excellent writer. You ought to be on TV. You ought to be like Dr. Oz or something like this, where you're solving everybody's problems and, 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 and you get to do it to millions. He goes, I'll do it my way. Instead of putting himself in the spotlight, he is very careful to make sure it's only Jesus in the spotlight. Nice going, Luke. How cool is that? Uh, and, And so you might say that you know, he reserves all the glory, all, 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 the, all the accolades for Jesus himself. Even though he's mentioned as being with Paul, uh, his name is never written by himself in Acts. He doesn't put his name down. You know what that means in today's world? He wouldn't do a selfie with Paul. Right? Or with Mary. Hey, look, I'm with God's mother. He wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have said, hey, I just got with Peter. Let's, you know. he's, he's not celebrity oriented. He's factual oriented. Now, you think of this. Isn't that a great mission to be on? I, I don't know if you have ever thought through a mission statement that you have. His is a two-part work to share with a specific people who are not yet convinced and he needs, and, and they need one of them, one of them to convince them, like nobody else can. Like two Jews guys, like two Jewish guys can't do what a Greek guy can do. Do you have a mission statement? I, it doesn't have to be as spectacular as Luke, but do you have a mission statement for your life? Is there anything that you say, for the next period of time, this is what I think God has in store for me? 
And this is what I want to accomplish. How do you wish to honor God in your life? Do you have one for today? One you can take home and ponder on? If you don't, I want to just, we're going to, we're, we're just about ready to do this. We're going to share with you a mission statement that's not much different from the one we had before. It still has many of the same focuses and foci, I guess you call them. It, it still looks very much the same, but we wanted to put it in a way that was clearer to us and especially clearer to those who may be looking at us. 80% of the people who visit us start with our website. I can verify that. 80% start with our website. So, because they come on time, unlike some of you, uh, because they come on time and even earlier, you know what? I, I'm often here and I just go down and I sit with them and I say, how'd you find out about us? Well, I checked out your website. Time and time again, that's how they find us. Uh, once in a while, someone would say, I came by and I saw that sign and I said, Bergen Park Church, that doesn't sound, you know. Or I, I, your building just drew me in. No. <laughs> our two best advertisements are this. And it won't be our mission statement, but our, our website will be important. But our two best advertisements have been and always will be these two. First and foremost, Jesus Christ and who he is. You cannot surpass him. He is supreme, okay? The more they look at Jesus, the more so they should be just like Luke. The second most important thing is you. Like in Antioch, you should be called, no, those Christians. What a bunch of do-gooders. Thank you. Because I do it out of faith in Christ. It's not because I'm in the Rotary or Kiwanis. There's nothing wrong with that. But when I do a work, I do it in the name of Christ. It is Christ who compels me to do this. Well, with that in mind then... uh, What is your mission statement? I did one in about 1973, and I'm still working on it. It doesn't look like I'm going to finish in time. But it's still what I want to do. I want to help people follow Jesus Christ, and especially help those who are interested in in going into ministry and devote myself uh, to to pouring my life into them. Now, I, I say it in a much shorter way, but that's what I've been doing since 1973. What about you? Do you have a mission statement? We have a mission statement that I think is worthy of our holy sweat. That, by that I mean as a church. And here it is. We say that our mission statement as Bergen Park Church is honoring God as we build up families, serve our community, and share Jesus' love with the world. The families, the community, the world. We want to touch all of these with, with every possible resource we have. And so we'll be displaying this on our website. All of our publications will be saying this now. It's not that much different, but we hope that those who look from the outside in, who aren't convinced of what sort of church they want to visit, well, at least we begin with God, and we understand that Jesus loves, and we're interested in the home. And believe me, in Evergreen, people are concerned about their homes. They're concerned about their families. They worry at night about their kids. then we want to serve our community. And what do I mean by that? Well, if we serve our community, it shows that we care in the way that they want to be cared for. 
for the quality of our community and for its cohesion. Now, our new facility will have community space in which we can have community events, and that'll be wonderful. But in addition, we just can't say, come to us. We have to go out to them. That means that we're going to be continuing to serve the lost, the poor, the needy, the lonely, the dejected, both inside and outside of our facility. That is worth our holy sweat. And our mission is to share God's love with the world. It is God's love for us that sent Jesus, this Jesus, who Luke decides to study. Let me put it this way. If you don't believe that God is a loving God, if you believe like materialist or like humanist that God is irrelevant, then there was no need for Jesus to die on his cross. But we want to share this love that sent Jesus to us. So this is our mission. Now, if you're pondering about your own, start with this. Where is it within this mission that you fit in? What is it about the family? What is it about the community or the world where you can fit in? For you students and singles, I just want you to know, it's not that God isn't interested in your career. He loves your career. He's he's all over your career. But he's bigger than your career, and he wants you to think beyond your career about your influence in the world, about your life's purpose. And that's exactly what I was struggling with. Why am I on this planet? And I did that all the way through my student life. For you parents, understand this, that it's, you know, it's, well, this is something I've heard from so many parents in our community because uh, when our two younger children were, were in high school, um, as soon as their kids learned to drive, most of them found their way to our basement. And, um, and, and so we would meet with the parents and, and often on a Friday and Saturday night and they'd come and pick up their kids or uh, you name it and it, it could happen in our basement. Um, but... Uh, they, Here's a conversation. You're a minister? Yeah. So what? Well, I suppose you tell your kids about Jesus? Absolutely. How about you? And this came out so many times, so many times. Well, I believe they should discover for themselves. I, should, I believe they should grow up and come to their own conclusions. Parents, the greatest gift you can give to your children is a personal faith in Christ Jesus. It's the greatest heritage you can leave with them. They will thank you more for that in eternity than any money you left them in your will. That's a promise. Not that I've experienced it, okay? I'm not there yet. But they will love you more for that. Because of the way you live, because of how you lived your mission in life. Honoring God in your life as you built up the family and served your community and shared Jesus' love around the world. Did I forget anybody? Yeah, you people with emptiness. I just want to say this. You've lived it and you know what works and what doesn't. I'm still trying to find that out, even though I have an empty nest. 
You have a wisdom of experience that I pray that we would listen to more and more. Now, we don't want your opinions. We want your story. We want to know how you came to faith and how your faith in Christ is affecting the way you live. We want to know what worked and what didn't work. And you have many things to continue to contribute. What you say from your experience is on, you know, the last third of life that is crucial for us in the two, for others in the two-thirds of life. I got to put myself in the last third. I'm sorry. I keep forgetting to do that. See, you all have an expression of the mission that God has given you. And if you want to say, well, what is it? How do I do it? Start with this. Honoring God as we build up families, serve our communities, and share Jesus' love with the world. Now, staff and elders are going to be tested on this for the next several months, okay, as well as what we're going to share in the next. But we're going to start talking about it with one another. You don't need to be tested, but staff and elders, we need to be ready, okay? All right, let's pray. Almighty God, life on mission, your mission, is the most exciting way to live we could possibly dream of. Life on mission, knowing that you are in it, you empower it, you are, you are pushing us through it, you with the way that we're living. We live for your nod and your smile. And we thank you so much that you have sent us Jesus Christ, the one who dies for our sins and, and whose death and resurrection and the mission that he sends us on to, like Luke, is worthy of our holy sweat. Thank you, Lord. And may this become a discussion among all of us. What's our mission? How are we living it out today? What's our plans for the future? And Father, you speak to us about mission. And I firmly believe so many of us will align our lives for what we know you want us to do and how you want us to live. Because you're worthy. And may our lives be that sort of offering that makes you smile. We ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.